Welcome to Spark.Grow, a series of conversations on topics that are critical to companies and people that want to grow, scale, and maintain their performance. Spark.Grow is brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark and hosted by Dave Haviland, founder of Fimation based in Ann Arbor. This conversation was recorded in the podcast studios of the Ann Arbor District Library. Now we'll turn it over to Dave Haviland for this conversation. Welcome to the Spark.Grow podcast. First post-COVID edition. Um, we've had a long break here, but are glad to get back into it with uh, the head of Treetown Tech, Casey Alford. Casey, welcome. Thank you. Um, so uh, let's start with just some background. Um, tell us a little bit about your business. Yeah, so Treetown Tech is an uh, engineering consulting and product development company. Um, we've been in business for just about four years now. Um, we do all sorts of different types of projects from things like robotics that sandblast the inside of water towers to delivery vehicle design um, to exercise equipment. So our team is made up mostly of engineers of kind of three different disciplines in the mechanical software and electrical design space. Uh, so that sets us up to do a lot of real world physical design and a lot of prototyping where those three things need to come together. And um, is there a origin story for the business uh, that uh, that's interesting? Yeah, there's so there's five, five founding partners um, in the business. We have all worked together now for at least a decade, um, going back to working for adaptive materials in Ann Arbor. Um, we ended up leaving uh, Ultra Electronics after they, they bought adaptive materials, started a remote R&D office for a company in the work truck industry. And then about four years ago, um, went out on our own and started to build the business from there. And how has it been going? It's been going pretty well. Um, you know, when you live in the day to day, you're always see all the all the problems. But I think if we could step back to the beginning, really to about four years ago this month, and say we've ended up where we're at, we'd be very happy with it. Hmm. How? What's the uh, what's the arc of your career? So I started my career in um, computer engineering. Spent some time in automotive embedded software space and spent some time in a couple of different California startups, um, co-founded a startup where we were based out of Ann Arbor, California and Australia, um, and then moved into, I guess the rest of the story, which I've already told, working in the fuel cell space and then delivery vehicle space. So most of those roles I've had have been either direct engineering roles, um, engineering management, and then for a period of time, field application, or engineering sales support. Um, so, so how much of the job that you are currently doing is something that you've done before, and and what parts are new? So, I think the parts that are new um, are having you know direct kind of P and L control over the business, as well as um, you know when you you manage a business of this size, you do you do everything um, on some level. So I spent a lot more time in the finance space and the legal space um, than in previous positions, but I've also spent most of my career in, in small startups. And one of the challenging things, and one of the great things about startups is you 
get to do a little bit of everything all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Has, has COVID, um, how has COVID impact you all? Uh, we did, it, it's kind of kind of done a couple of different things. Um, we were in the process of trying to get heavier into using tools like Microsoft Teams and being able to work remotely, um, changing how we communicate through tools like that. And it forced us to go full speed in that direction, you know, really within about a week's worth of time. Our, our team's done an amazing job uh, taking equipment home, taking work home, figuring out how to keep getting stuff done by having people using our lab or shop space at, at different different time schedules. Um, so overall, the team has, has really responded really well. I'd say, like everybody else, we're, we're feeling some of that fatigue from, it just seems to take longer to do everything remotely than it did in person. Um, from the business standpoint, we've been We've been quite fortunate that a lot of our clients have been essential businesses who have really actually their their business has taken off even more through this process. Um, as we got into it a little bit, we started to see some projects we had lined up kind of get pulled back or at least get delayed as uncertainty set in. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, we've seen a counter to that of, uh, you know, meeting new clients who have reached the point where they decided they needed to start moving again and didn't have the resources to do it. So did you all need to pivot um, at all? Not in terms of our business model. I mean, we mm-hmm. are still doing pretty much the same thing that we were doing. Um, how we collaborate and work together, especially in projects where we, you know, we need to build real things. Um, it's just taken more coordination, but I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't really call it a pivot. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, um, have you had to change what you do as a leader? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest challenge with, uh, remote communication, you know, we're all video conference all the time now. Um, I think it works great one-on-one, um, in some ways, sometimes better than in person, not always. It's okay with three people. And then after that, it's hard to get the same level of communication and collaboration, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, without being able sometimes to read read body language or other nonverbals that people have. Um, it can be frustrating, you know, to, to talk to a bunch of black boxes on the screen from time to time. So we, mm-hmm. we try to encourage people to use cameras, but, that's not always feasible with some of the internet connections that that some of our team has. Um, so we just, it, it's been hard to always get a read on where people are at. It's easier, I think, to do in person than it is remotely. Yeah. And um, how would you describe your leadership style? The, the reason I thought of that is because I was thinking, has your leadership style had to change at all? But I guess let's start with with how you would describe your leadership style to begin with. It's a good question. Um, you know, I'd like to think that I'm a leader that kind of reaches decisions by consensus, that tries to, um, you know, push everybody on our team to, to be in a better position. I've always seen leadership much more as a service position than, than kind of a command position. But people I've worked for in the past that, that I really responded to, you know, treated our, our working relationship as a partnership. They were there to knock down as many roadblocks and, and try to make people successful. And 
that's at least how I like to think that I lead. Nice. And um, has COVID kind of, you know, um, made made that easier or more important or harder, less important? Have there been any changes? I think it's probably made it more important. Um, it's definitely taken more communication to kind of achieve the, the same baseline and same level of success as before. Hmm. Um, you, when everything has to be scheduled, I think we end up what could be a four minute conversation often turns into a 25 minute conversation. Hmm. Um, so trying to find a balance between, you know, the level of communication that we need and the efficiency of the team is, you know, something that we're, I think I would say we're struggling with through COVID, but it's something that's taking a lot of energy to get through with COVID. Mm -hmm. And what kind of communication cadences or processes or structures or anything like that do you have in the business um, for the, for the company as a whole to know what's going on? Yeah. So that, that is a bit of a change. Um, you know, in COVID we run kind of a, hybrid of agile project management a lot a lot of things that we do we've always been playing with how often we should have you know full team communication uh, when we were in person that had kind of settled into a twice a week stand-up um, moving to to kind of remote work we found and you know we've surveyed the team all the time to find out what's working well nobody on our team likes meeting for the sake of meeting um, but we found that a daily standup was really good. It gave a checkpoint for kind of everybody to have a time that they knew they could could talk to everybody else and find out what's going on with projects. Inside of that, we keep kind of playing with what we do. Um, right now, we do full project kind of reviews Monday and Friday. Individual people, you know, in a more traditional agile startup, talk about what they're doing on Tuesday and Thursday, and then Wednesday we've kind of been leaving open for company updates or special projects that people are working on any of that kind of stuff and how long are those um, um, stand-ups the longest they're they're 30 minutes and at the shortest they're usually 10. Huh. you supplement that with any bigger meetings um, or or um, other conversations with the company yeah, I mean, we're, we're 15 people, so um, our project process um, handles most of the other project-specific meetings. You know, that 15 people, that's a lot of overlap. Um, so most people are interacting with most other people at various times throughout the week. Mm -hmm. Those tend to meet every week or every other week. Uh, we do quarterly company updates, um, reviews. We've also got some initiatives going with like things like lunch and learns, um, mm -hmm. which could be very specific to our business, or it could be something along the lines of, you know, a new process you learned in in uh, cooking cooking pizzas over a wood fire. So <laughs> all of those together kind of add up for, um, you know, a lot of communication. The other thing we've been working on is, you know, for like a lot of companies, we'd have one-on-one -on -one meetings um, between people and their manager, but we've actually tried to kind of expand that to uh, a three-person meeting, uh, but the theory being more interaction between more people leads to, you know, a much stronger network inside mm -hmm. the company. Hmm. Uh, 
And um, it sounds like you're still using that three people instead of two, instead of one-on-ones. Um, how do you think it's working? Is it something you recommend other people try? I think it's definitely worth trying. Um, I think the pairing of those three people is something you kind of have to spend a lot of time mm -hmm. playing with. And then I also, which we're just now starting to do, think then you have to break it all up and kind of put it back together again. Meaning um, change up the three. Change, change, change up the groups, change up the pairing. Yeah. Um, try and, you know, we sometimes try and pair much more senior, more junior, um, you know, team members. And it, it, it works well when you can kind of get then an organic conversation going. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's largely true with any one-on-one. -on -one. Do you get into conflict uh, in those meetings? Like, is, does it, does conflict come up more easily or less easily um, when you're dealing with one My, with three? Yeah, that's a good, uh, so far I think less conflict has actually kind of come out of those meetings, mm -hmm. um, which I don't know if that's overall a good thing. And it's, they're not a replacement for um, other reasons you might want to have a one-on-one. -on -one, uh -huh. So like the, 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 the way we presented it is this is kind of a weekly or not weekly, but a regularly scheduled meeting. But that doesn't mean that at any time, you know, you can't send a team's message, start a call, mm -hmm. pop into somebody's office. If you're in the office, um, you know, it's not in lieu of that. Is, is there more conflict happening now that you're working from home and, and dealing with the COVID stuff is, is there less? I could see a case for either one of those. Yeah, I think if I had to think, I, I haven't put much thought to it, but I would say it's really unchanged. Um, hmm. I can't think of, I can't think of too many instances that were really different than, you know, pre or post COVID. And, and do you have any lessons or methods that you use to deal with conflict? I mean, luckily, uh, we don't have too much of that within our team. Um, usually I have found that in the past kind of bringing in somebody in the organization that's a third party observer has helped quite a bit. Um, I found myself in those positions sometimes in previous companies where I'd be, you know, stuck between two VPs who were basically in conflict and, and you know, trying to negotiate yeah. our way through that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's you know our, we don't have we don't have anything I guess that's too formal in the conflict resolution space. Mm -hmm. um, I have a couple more areas of leadership that I think are interesting to explore, and then maybe we'll change gears. Uh, the first one is, um, what's your favorite part of the the leadership role that you play? I mean, I think the the easy answer to that is watching people grow, right? So. Mm being able to spend time mentoring people, learn from learning from, from people as well, and then being able to, you know, especially set up situations where they can grow and succeed. Hmm. Um, to me in leadership, the best, best times are when you were potentially leading a group and all of a sudden you look around and, and they're, you know, completely doing that themselves. And then that means you can move on <laughs> to something else. Yeah. Nice. How about the hardest thing? The hardest thing right now is just finding enough time. Um, 
you know, I feel like, like I said, with the increased amount of time it takes to talk to people and, and just get through each day that there isn't as much time available as there used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the other obvious easiest answer to that one is when you get into situations, um, you know, in a leadership role where you aren't getting the performance that you are looking for or, mm-hmm. or need, you know, how do you work through those? Yeah. Any, uh, any lessons or insights around that? I mean, it's something I'm trying to always get better at. I don't think it's something that I'm very good at, um, at this point, any time in the past when I've done anything, than just direct, honest, um, communication at the end, I've always looked back and said, you know, that would have been a lot easier way to go about it. Mm-hmm. All right. I like it. Uh, you all, uh, sounds like operate a lot in the innovation, um, space. So, uh, do, do you have a formal process that you work for with, or, or do you have some core principles that you orient around? Yeah, no, we don't really have a, a formal process. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different innovation playbooks that are out there, um, different ways of charting, graphing, going after, and you know, finding you know what space might be ripe to innovation. Um, but we we use those sometimes when they make sense. Um, I think a lot of our innovation comes from such kind of cross discipline and cross market thinking that we get exposed to. Hmm. So we end up working in in all sorts of different industries that it's, you know, a lot of times you'll go, Hey, this problem we've solved over here, this industry, you know, this current project isn't thinking about it, but it might be a really good fit. Hmm. Um, So a lot of our our kind of innovation comes from that. And then it's really not part of our core innovation piece, but we are very strong believers in as much as you can customer discovery and talking to people are going to uncover a lot of the good ideas, um, you know, that common product development and really development of just about anything. How do you balance that uh, idea of customer discovery with um, the either the iterative process that's oftentimes needed or the or the speed that um, people are looking to act on? And so that's, you know, one of the things we've sort of built our business around is being able to, to prototype quickly. Um, so the first balance is kind of the opposite. It's engineers often have a tendency to want to go away and, and make something. Um, and we see this sometimes in, in clients that come to us as well. You know, we have this idea, we're sure it's the right idea. We're going to go work on it, work on it, work on it. And then only when it, we think it's perfect and ready, are we going to show it to the world? Um, so part of our process is we try to, with within our own team and also with other people that we're working with, kind of push that maybe that isn't the best approach, that actually doing some level of customer discovery, validating that the pain you think you're solving is really a pain hmm. um, is really worth the time. And in our own internal R&D investments over the last four years, I think that's a lesson that, that we've probably learned two or three different times now. So we've started to develop a much more robust customer discovery piece of our internal R&D process. And, you know, so I think that's, that's a piece of it. But then the next piece is, um, you know, how fast can you build and get something into somebody's hands to get feedback 
we think that iteration loop really leads to to successful products. I mean, a lot of people in the outside world who've never, you know, been in product development or engineering look at a finished product and they assume, you know, marketing came up with an idea, engineers made the thing, factory, it, you know, popped out the other side. When in reality, most things we use and touch every day both internally went through massive iterations um, and sometimes probably ended up looking radically different than the first version, um, but are also based on products that have been in a marketplace for you know years and years and years and are small iterations on top of that. So we've set up to be able to try to get things into people's hands as soon as possible to get feedback, um, especially in physical products. It really helps to be able to touch and hold and see things but at the same time, using as many off the shelf building blocks as we can to skip the non-core function kind of pieces so we don't spend a lot of time working on something that might change as the product iterates through that process. Mm. So it's really about, it's about managing your risk or your key feature or features through those first iterations and trying to take that first level of customer discovery where we said, hey, we think we've identified the pain points that we're going to solve or the features that we're going to create and then getting to something that we can touch and see as quickly as possible. That takes a lot of balance um, in explaining that process to who we're working with if they're not, you know, if they're not used to it because those first versions often look like Frankenstein's, right? There's <laughs> wires everywhere. There's, you know, this piece is, is not the way it's going to be. So it, you can't set it up as this is a demo of the final thing. You really have to hmm. kind of set up the expectation that, hey, we're just trying this out and we want to get feedback. Um, but again, getting people together, touching, feeling, holding, doing, you know, changing designs is, is really our process there. And, and you all clearly have a lot of skills and expertise around the technical side. Um, how often are you involved with your customers on the on some of the business issues that they have? It, it, more more often, you know, than I think maybe even we expected in the beginning. It, there's an old view of system engineering where you probably can you know, marketing defines a problem. Uh, somebody architects the solution, you define all the interfaces, you move to the, you know, it's that old traditional kind of waterfall approach. But, but the reality is anything you're going to the market with is kind of a never ending negotiation and dance with a combination of operations, marketing and sales. Mm -hmm. um, so because of that, we often find, especially at the beginning of our projects, um, that we need to spend a lot of time working through uh, how many are you going to build? What's your real target market size? You know, what, what cost structure is in play? And all of those things help to set up the kind of toolbox that we can use to, you know, if you're going to build one of something, it's a whole different approach than if you're going to build 10 million of something. Hmm. Um, and there may be a technical solution but that technical solution can't support the price point. And without the price point, the whole business model falls apart. Yeah. So it, one way to do that is you come in and you say, it has to be this price, it has to be this, it has to be that. But when you do that, you really start to kind of stifle the creativity of the technical team. So we've found that that's kind of a, a constant evolving 
um, set of requirements and communication and price point. And it's real common, especially area land project for those things to move kind of fluidly as the designs change. Hmm. Um, and do you all, so, so you clearly operate in the innovation space a lot with customers. You also mentioned that you have an internal R&D function. Um, what's the biggest gap between the stuff that you do with customers and then the cobbler not, you know, making his own shoes um, and, and, the, and what you don't do internally in your own IR&D pro, pro, program? I think in the beginning in our internal IR&D program, we didn't do that first piece that I just talked about. Um, we didn't spend enough time on the business side of it, on the business plan, go to market. Um, how is this business going to scale? You know, a good example of that, we created a, a product a few years ago that controls um, gas regulation to, you know, to beverages, so mostly for, for beer and, and carbonation. Um, and we had a pretty successful technical prototype and it was only later when we went, uh, how are we going to take this to market that it really kind of showed us that the way the business is going to scale is going to be largely a boots on the ground sales and marketing operation, mm -hmm. which, which is not our strength. Right. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of looked at each other and said, yeah, we don't really want to do that. So we, we abandoned that. But I think if we had spent more time up front, we would have probably seen that earlier. Um, I still think it was a valuable time that we we put into it, but the you know from a business sense, the return return obviously didn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that uh, you know your question of how are they different? I don't think they should be different really at all. Um, right. It's right. just the client in the case of internal is is us. Um, so we've also part of our process then has been um, who's ever pitching the idea and coming up with it has uh, you know a different set of people. Kind of challenging and reviewing it within the framework of the, yeah. the IRD process. Do you manage your IRD ideas as a portfolio and, and kind of look at multiple ones at a time at a time, or is it more individual consideration? It's uh it's a kind of a combination of both. So we've started to develop a portfolio of things we're interested in um, going after. And those aren't, you know. Those are not always, this is a product we want to take to the market or a product we want to bring to the consulting space. Um, sometimes we know, we're now treating IR&D as also, it's not, I don't want to call it training because it's more than training, but a mm -hmm. space for, you know, our business really is, is the talent of our team and the expertise of our team, which means we have to be kind of always, and those are, you know, the only people we really have, but always curious about new things. Yep. Um, how are we going to learn from them? And so we think, you know, part of part of your time allocation at, at Treetown Tech is being able to spend some time on those things. Um, but we think running that through the IR&D process kind of helps hmm. guide, guide that and where it's headed and maybe catch other initiatives that other people aren't aware of and find a way to kind of, you know, push them together into something something more powerful. Yeah, yeah. I have a client uh, that calls that uh, competency growth or competency growing or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, mm -hmm. All right. Uh, is there anything else about innovation that you think would be worth any, any other insights about that? I want to change gears and talk a little bit about strategy and decision-making, but 
you have I, a lot of I experience think, on innovation. And I, I think we've, we've kind of hit on the, on the high points there to yeah. move on. That'd be great. So, um, how do you all, what is, what is good decision-making look like, do you think? And, and how do you all make big decisions? Okay, maybe start that the other way. Um, you know, we tend to make all of our big decisions as a group. Um, we definitely make big decisions as an ownership group, but more times than not, you know, our, our full team is, is involved with anything that's a big decision. Um, either just being informed, but a lot of times that's, you know, bringing a lot of, a lot of other ideas and other insights. Um, good decision-making. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one to, um, to put a metric on. I think it's you know, the easy answer is, you know, what's your return on investment? How much money did you make off of it? But mm -hmm. a lot of big decisions we make are very hard to measure kind of directly that way. Right. Um, a lot of it to me comes down to, if you look back on it, do you feel good about the choice you made or not? Mm -hmm. Which which sounds like it is maybe there's some quantitative element to it too, but uh, but there's also intangible, qualitative, other kinds of ways of um, of evaluating that. Yeah, I mean, watching your KPIs, the things you're working on in the business, um, but we don't. We're not at a stage yet where we're. We're doing things like, you know, it's this much investment, it's gonna take this much time and we're gonna get, you know, this mm -hmm. return on it. Um, we've worked in organizations like that. They make sense at a certain size and a certain type of business, but mm -hmm. I don't even wanna say, I don't think we're not there yet. I think it doesn't really fit exactly the way that, you know, that we'll go about making decisions going forward. You know, part of, part of the excitement of a small company with a really talented team is you know, it's worth it to, to try some new things as long as you've learned some stuff along the way. Yeah, nice. And so you're four years in, do you all have a vision for the business for where you wanna be? Or have you not gotten to a place where you need that yet? I think it's it's kind of, I don't think we've been to a place where we need it yet, but I, it's something we've been working on. Um, you know, we've been bringing in, as you know, outside people to try to kind of help with with some of that thinking, um, we have a group that that gets along very well. But one of the blind spots that kind of comes from that is sometimes you get you, know, you don't get that conflict. You get too easy agreement um, on a decision. So it's it, it, our vision for where we're going um, so far has really been kind of organic growth. Um, mm -hmm. We've under the right opportunity when we found find the right people. We've been adding them to our team. And so far that's, that's worked quite well. Um, you know, we're not kind of, we're not yet marching down the, we're going to take over the world in five years kind of approach. Uh -huh. My guess is we probably never will. Um, we are trying to get more deliberate on internal R and D spending versus, um, you know, time growing the, the consulting business. Um, and we've kind of found, you know, in the beginning, everyone said, we want to be, we want to be a product company. Um, but I don't think that's really, you know, the core direction of, of the company right now. I think we've really kind of found a very good cadence in the consulting side of things and love to bring our expertise to help solve hard problems, but also like 
to get to see new things um, kind of day in and day out and all sorts of different variety. We don't have a lot of people who would be real good at doing exactly the same thing, you know, for the next five years. And, and oftentimes uh, values go into that same category as vision. Uh, what, what process have you used to develop what the values of the business are or the principles? We've been trying to do that as a kind of a full team. Um, so we, we've done a couple different workshops where we generate just value statements, kind of anything you want, throw it at the, put it at the wall, we'll put it up. Um, we tend to let those kind of sit and marinate for a little bit and then come back together. And if you start rereading them, um, you know, we kind of regroup them. And then as we regroup them, we kind of try to reword as we go along. Um, and then we've done a couple different, you know, hey, you've got, you've got three votes or four votes, put them on the things that matter to you the most. Um, and it's not as simple as just, you know, this one, one, that's our value. So it's really, it's really had some uh, interesting outcomes in that people would finish and then, you know, someone would have an insight that like, hey, well, I thought that thing would get a ton of votes and it got none. And then the conversations that, that it usually takes them a little bit to get rolling, but the conversations that come out of that really kind of helped us, helped us start to hone in on our core value set. And, and do you all revisit those values um, in any regular way? That's, I guess, to be determined, right? So we've just kind of really gotten through that process in the last uh, six months or so. But no, I think it is the, something that we have to kind of look at. I don't really know what the cadence would be yet. I'm guessing, you know, annually would probably be a good time. But I imagine as our team grows, as our business evolves, that some of our values, you know, could change over time. Mm, yeah. Um, well, I want to step back out of your business and ask you about business more generally. Um, what, to, to do that, do you have any formal, like, business school kind of training, or is it all just uh, developed in your career? Yeah, no, no formal training whatsoever. Okay. All right. Um, so, so given, uh, that path, uh, do you have an observation about where the conventional wisdom on business is most wrong? I guess, can you expand on what you think the, the conventional, uh, wisdom oh, on business man. is? <laughs> <laughs> That's like, uh, what, 500 different books. So, yeah. um, I, so let me, let me give you some areas where, you know, there might be some things that show up, uh, what it takes to be successful as a startup, um, what, uh, growth of a business should look like, what vision for a business should look like, how to manage yourself, how to manage people, um, how to, how to innovate or develop new ventures. Anything around any of those? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple of things there. Um, you know, traditionally, a lot of business was measured by time, you know, time in how much equaled effort. And I think especially with COVID and working from home, hmm. we're going to continue to accelerate kind of into more of a results-based um, approach to things. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, though, it's, you know, that's an easy thing to say. It's a harder thing to 
to kind of put a, a metric on. And then I think the thing that is missing from it a lot of times is part of really highly efficient businesses, you know, that tribe all walking towards the same goal and mission. Um, and that takes some level of, you know, how does, how does everybody work together? How does the team, you know, rally around something? Is it, is it, I'm trying to figure out just how to get myself ahead or is really success when we all start, you know, going after some common goal. Um, one other thing you kind of touched on in there was, was startup wisdom and I've kind of started to see that a lot um, recently is we, we not, nobody we're doing direct work with, but people we've talked to, even some of the stuff we've done, that would be kind of a really good example is, it's very hard to be part-time in a startup, right? It, it really is, it's something you can start on a part-time basis. And I think that can be very successful, but you know, one of the hardest parts in that journey is at some point it has to become your your sole, your sole focus, at mm -hmm. least at a business level. Um, and we've, I've seen a lot of projects over the last few years kind of really struggle because, um, you know, without, someone owning being that passionate person startups tend to kind of kind of wither and die mm -hmm. i like it um so i have a couple of wrap-up questions is there anything that we didn't talk about that you think would be interesting too i mean one one thing we're we're working through right now is you know kind of our our next office and what that should look like um be kind of curious to get get your thoughts too, right? So we've, we've all of a sudden you've now heard everyone's going to work from home, you know, until the end of time. Um, and you've seen some huge companies make that move. Uh, so I in my in my past when I worked for both a California startup and Australian startup, I worked at home for seven straight years. Um, and you know that's about the point where most people I think start to go crazy. So I guess I'm curious on going forward those sort of easy blanket statements, how many people in that space have really done it for that long or have done it in a family situation. You know, for me, before I had children, it wasn't so hard to work from home, but mm -hmm. afterwards it became, it became nearly impossible. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any, you have any thoughts on that. Oh, I love it. Um, so I tend to like to zag when other people are zigging or whatever that would be. Uh, I, I think that there's going to be an opportunity for having in-person meetings and in-person space that um, it's maybe not necessary anymore, but it will be a way to stand out or create a different experience or offer something different. So I, I, I my sense is that the pendulum is going to swing back again um, and that we're going to value that. Now, that said, these are big decisions. They impact a lot of things. And, and when I think about that, I oftentimes go to a framework of, is this something I want to play offense on or is this something I want to play defense on? And that question is best answered by deciding, well, what are the different things that I want to play offense on and what are the defense and so that I have that full picture. And if I and playing offense on it, then I'm focused on the impact that it can have uh, in the business. And if I'm playing defense, then I'm really kind of preserving, I think they call it optionality in investing. You know, I, I'm, I'm preserving my resources so that they're available in case I want to do something different with them. And these office 
these offices um, are such big commitments and there's such uncertainty right. around this that I, I just think it's really tough. Yeah, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Do you have any sense in how you're going to make that decision? A lot of what we do, we physically have to build. Um, and a lot of that's done with teams working together. Hmm. So what I think that means for us is we're largely set up as a place where everybody has some space to work from um, and some spaces to you know collaborate and build stuff together. Um, I hope what it means though is that we now have all of the infrastructure in place that working remotely is is pretty easy and everyone's kind of used to it. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the problems you've had in the past is somebody's not in the office, they're working remotely, people don't want to bother them, so they don't include them in a meeting or a conversation and you know, and then the bad communication usually kind of happens from there. Um, I hope we end up with a spot where you know, everybody, today is, would be a good day for me to get, you know, eight hours of uninterrupted head down kind of work and I can do that better from home, um, you know, and do that. And if today is a day that either I need the energy of the people in the office or, or just, you know, the ability to collaborate at speed that we've got good spaces set up to do that as well. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. Any, any other ideas? before we uh, move to my last questions? No, I think the last question would be great. <laughs> All right, well, it's, it, there's two different time frames. The first is the next year, and then the second is the next half decade or decade, whatever long-term means to you. Um, and like, what are you, what are you most worried about within that um, time frame, and, and what are you most excited about? And that can be in the world at large, uh, for you individually, for your business, whatever, wherever you want I mean, to take it. It's such an easy answer right now, but the, in the short time frame is, is a combination of what the pandemic does to, um, to everybody in general, but you know, specifically speaking for our business or other businesses, how, how long will this go on and what does it look like both during it and on the other side? Um, mm -hmm. I've been kind of amazed so far at how little impact there's been for such large scale kind of economic damage. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's sort of, it feels to me like there's still some reckoning to come from that, but it's also been such a very strange recession that it's, you know, created such big winners to go with the losers, which is not, you know, usually all everybody kind of comes down at least some. Um, so, you know, to me, that's the thing I'm, I'm definitely most worried about in the short term. Um, and then just the going with that, the, the huge mental health toll um, that I think this is taking on people that I think will be paying or trying to you know, dig our way out of that. It's probably not the best way to put it, but you know, for, for some time going forward. Um, longer term, I mean, to me, just being part of the, kind of the, the Ann Arbor ecosystem is, is incredibly exciting. So I've been, I've been in Ann Arbor since 1997, and it really, I don't have any data to back this up, um, but it really feels to me like it's, if you go to like downtown and on the south side, like really all over kind of the area, there are a lot of exciting startups in the technology space. You know, for a while, it felt like downtown was, you know, mostly lawyers and 
kind of other business offices. Now you see a ton of software. Um, for a while, the only kind of startups in Ann Arbor felt like medical device companies, which are still seem to be very strong here, but now you have all sorts of, of other companies coming out of it. And now we're kind of entering that, you know, with LlamaSoft this week and Duo last year, that phase where you would hope that that kind of money keeps going back in into new and innovative things. And that, you know, where we're at now, five to 10 years from now, will be that much further beyond it. Sounds really cool. Uh, and 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 um, do you do you all plan on being around Ann Arbor? It's obviously built into your name. Um, yeah, it's so. kind of hard to move at this point. Yeah, once you, <laughs> you build it into your name. Yeah, no, it's a we we all live you know here or very nearby. Um, I think almost everybody in our company. Um, was raised in Michigan. Hmm. So it's, and we've, you know, that's one of our, one of the things we've attracted some of the, the newer talent we've brought in the last year is people that have, were from here and left and are coming back. Um, so yeah, I don't see, I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be in this area for, you know, pretty much the foreseeable future going forward. Yeah, nice. All right, so um, Casey, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the what's the best way that you want to manage that? Oh, um, well, you can find us on the web at www.treetontech.com, um, or my email is Casey C A S E Y. Alfred A L F O R D at treetontech.com, or you can probably find me on LinkedIn. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, and. Uh, uh, we um, have been able to cover all kinds of bases that we hope to with the Spark.Grow podcast. And uh, I appreciate you sharing what's going on inside your business. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Spark.Grow, a podcast series brought to you by Ann Arbor Spark. To learn more about Spark, visit annarborusa.org. And thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library as our recording partner. You can learn more about their resources at aadl.org.